Hey, welcome back. It's Food News and Choose Radio. Allison Settle, she is a Sullivan graduate, and uh, she's on with us. We're going to talk about a lot of things. She's a chef, Sullivan graduate. We're going to talk about the, the food world trends, what it's like to, to go to Sullivan. Uh, how are you doing, Allison? Doing pretty good, yeah. So As you can tell, yeah. I had a stomach scope done, so my voice uh, is a little off, but I'm going to I'm gonna push through for you all. I'm um, uh, excited to be here. Well, thank okay. you. Excellent, excellent. Well, glad to have you. So tell us how it all started for a chef like you. I mean, a little bit of background. I, I want to go out and put out there. Allison just received a James Beard nomination Yowie, oh, wow. for Best Chef Southeast, which, you know, if, amazing. You, if you think about it, it's the Academy Awards of, yeah. Yeah. of the yeah. Yeah. food industry. It's something that a lot of chefs would dream of. <laughs> Like to you know to go to the house, um, which is which is one of those kind of bucket list deals. But to get a nomination, kind of, and this happens out of the blue, guys. Yeah. It's not no, like you I, you just. I wanted you, you to tell it. us how how does yeah, that happen? Yeah, yeah. What's the process? Yeah. Allison, are you aware? You just <laughs> um, well, I have some connections with James Beard. So actually, while I was in Sullivan University, I um, <clears throat> competed in a internship program uh, in New York. So actually, we were um, to create some dishes to hopefully um, gain an internship for a year a year period um, through Vermilion Restaurant, which is in Chicago and New York. Um, and that was several years ago. And then um, my most recent position at Barn 8, uh, we hosted Taste of America dinner, uh-huh. um, which was really um, a fantastic opportunity to uh, showcase the restaurant and Uh, gain those connections um so but none of that really has anything to do with the nominations in fact i um uh, based on what i heard they have been working on kind of changing up how they are nominating people um instead of just simply um, being voted on based on the merit of the restaurant itself they're trying to change things based on how progressive you are in your employment um how you like to teach and how inclusive you are mm-hmm. um, and how you like to provide a, you know, a, a career that is a work-life balance for your, uh, for your team. Uh-huh. So that was something that was really important to me. Um, but none of it had any bearing um, as far as my awareness of the yeah. upcoming nomination. Um, Do you get a letter actually, in the mail? I was, how I was you- sitting at work and um, I just, was I was actually posting um, like a help wanted ad um, on Facebook and I noticed I had a couple of inbox messages and it was um, Lindsay Offsasek who's the director of Lee Initiative and um, Sam Four of Tuck Tuck Lex and both of them had just like sent me a message that said congratulations and I was oh, like how wild. <laughs> what did I do yeah. <laughs> and they sent me a link that said uh, James Beard Foundation and I was like what uh, ended up scrolling down, and that, that was is how so I found out. I had no, even our PR company didn't know. So I found out through friends yep. on Facebook that I was nominated. I, um, a question, so it was a complete yeah. surprise. What was Taste of America? Where was that held? That sounds interesting. At, at Barn Eight. Which where um, was that? So it was a sponsored event through uh, James Beard Foundation. They have um, they have these they host these dinners uh, throughout the country. Yeah. And we were lucky enough to host one here in Lexington. Um, so we, we worked with our sponsors, um, Tanya Mays of, uh, Tanya Mays Cronin of uh, Kismet was uh, also featured for dessert. And, uh, we just worked together, um, with rabbit hole distillery, 
and put together a menu and and it went from there that's awesome well you know i gotta go back to the beard nomination i I think it's Mm -hmm. a magical how that that happened for you but it really is a testament deep down to another chef that that there's got to be something going on with the food it's got to be about the cuisine i know and i know that's really cool they are being more progressive about work-life balance in like the whole big picture of the restaurant industry and individual restaurants and chefs because mm-hmm. all that is important um you know as you become an executive chef we've already talked about this it's almost like it's 10 percent cooking yeah you know and then you're you're running yeah. the entire big picture and mm-hmm. company now they're cooking and they're cooking your food but it's just a different you know off play and, and for anyone who might not be in the restaurant or the you know the cooking world you said the james beard award is like you know it's like the oscars it, it is the biggest award in food I don't know that there's a bigger award. It, it, it is the industry standard. When you hear someone mm-hmm. is a, a James Beard nominee, you automatically put some some oomph behind their name. Oh, right? it's huge. It's uh, one of those things that you, you yeah. your whole career, you're known as a James Beard nominee. Yeah. Well, I want to hear how she got there. You know, I got to meet Allison back when she was in Lexington. Um, you, you ate at Azure several times. Oh, hi, Kitty. Talk. And then, um, <laughs> you know, uh, of course, you know, I know it started at Sullivan, so I want to hear about that. But tell us how that kind of progressed in the, your style right now, something that would that the Beard House would kind of see and go, hey, this, mm-hmm. is, this is new, yeah, this is innovative, this is, this is great, yeah. this is, you know, its own thing. So, Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I have a very uh, weird way of getting into the food industry. You know, a lot of people – um, start out when they're 18 um, or younger in the food industry and they kind of work their way up. Um, I didn't really realize that that's what I wanted to do until I was in my mid-20s. Mm-hmm. So um, my parents weren't really big cooks or anything like that. Um, but I always kind of had a fascination with it. Um, actually, when I was uh, in high school, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I was really excited about science and I loved um, the just biology in general. And um, and then I lived in Munich for a year. I worked as an au pair, which is a lot like a nanny. Yeah, sure. And I cooked for the family a lot. Oh. And they, they really enjoyed um, – there's like no Mexican food in Germany and they mm-hmm. loved like my guacamole. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was, um, that was like the first like confidence boost for me. And then um, over time, it just became more and more of a hobby and an interest for me. And then eventually I was just like, this is all this. I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. This is all I want to do. Um, and I realized, you know, I'm in my mid-20s. I don't have that boost that other people do. So that's why I started at Sullivan. Um, started in Lexington. I worked at Holly Hill Inn in Woodford um, for Wita Michael. And then I moved to Louisville, and that's where I finished my degree. I uh, worked at Holy Grail, um, Grail House, uh, Portage House, Pizza Lupo, um, and then I became executive chef at Red, Red Hawk, which Red is Hawk. a um, okay. uh, tip-to-tail uh, butcher shop. So basically, they are doing the butchery and charcuterie in the back, and any uh, cuts of meat that they can't sell in the case would come to me. And so oh. I would have this uh, real creative license to cook whatever I wanted. Uh-huh. Um, and I love cooking all sorts of cuisines. I, I always tell people I don't have a specialty. I cook what I want to. I cook, you know, um, if I'm going to get a bunch of eggplant in, I'm not just going to cook one. I'm not going to cook like a southern dish or I'm not just going to cook Italian. I'm going to do, you know, a Mediterranean lamb stuff dish. I'm going to make Oshinko pickles, Japanese pickles. I'm going to braise it. I'm going to turn it into a pasta sauce. 
you know, whatever, whatever feels good to me. Um, and that is, that was the basis for me getting the position at Barn 8, mm-hmm. um, which became this really incredible opportunity uh, to work with our, holder, our horticulturist, um, to work with her and decide what we were going to grow. Um, and then we would get that in. And as you know, when you work wow. with farmers, a lot of restaurants can kind of buy whatever amounts they would like to buy. You know, you only need 10 pounds, you order 10 pounds. Well, when it's grown on your farm, you, you get what you get. <laughs> it'll be 10 tomatoes at the beginning of the season. And then at some point it'll turn into a hundred pounds a day. And you have to figure out what to do with what all to of that. What, what comes the, a squash. What's the oddest ingredient or the one that you were just the most sick of that you got stuck with and you're like, I just don't, I don't yeah. want to cook this anymore. I, I just don't want to cook more squash. Oh, squash. Squash. Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, we actually did this huge, at Barn 8, we did this huge, um, we've done it two years in a row now, um, and this huge pile of uh, squashes. There's a farm called, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's in Illinois. And I think it's like a hundred acre farm, something like that. And they bring the most insane varieties of squash more than you've ever seen in your entire (laughs) life. And then, you know, we didn't want it to go to waste. So anything that was remotely edible, we started working with it. We were mm-hmm. juicing it, turning it into um, vinegars, putting it in ravioli, making pasta yeah. sauce. We were making curries, uh, whatever we could do to get <laughs> do you, through it. Do you I ever stuff them? We had thousands you, of pans of do, it, and we couldn't get rid of it. We, we were still like sitting on cellared pumpkins in like <laughs> April of the next year, and what? I was like, I'm going to lose it. Yeah, what, what's the most unusual creative dish you ever had to make? out of that since you got kind of past uh, the create creativity piece out of all the squash yeah all the things you said <laughs> the vinegar sounds pretty interesting yeah, that's to a me. pretty cool what, what yeah what was the dish that you had to make um came i think uh as far as pumpkin is concerned well anything <clears throat> oh gosh uh i i have no idea one of um one of our favorite dishes that we did with the pumpkin itself was a uh, a type of carpaccio. Nice. We was like a vegan carpaccio, but we used um, pumpkins in several different ways. You know, thin strips. Um, we fermented them. We pickled them. We roasted them um, <laughs> all together on the same dish. Just a million different ways of you know a celebration of the of the pumpkin, and uh, you know that's kind of what you have to do. Lots of research goes into it. I actually spent a lot of time on YouTube, mm-hmm. a yeah, lot. Sure. I bet there's uh, anything on YouTube that, about that's how I That's how I derive a lot of my education is is watching um, you know people that are native to a country yeah. explaining the cultures and backgrounds behind their food. And I, I derive a lot of inspiration from that. That's a really great approach. And I, you know, I love that style of, of cooking. I think it's, it's important for especially young chefs to kind of get into an environment that you've been in like Barn 8 or something that is really hyper local, especially like right outside the front door local, you know, because learning the discipline to take, you know, pumpkin and do five different things with it, like really understanding the ingredient, all the things you can do with it, all the ways you can kind of bend it. I think it's it's a really nice approach. You can get really focused with your food because I, I think 
you know, as, as I as I mature as a chef, I find that uh, I'm getting more focused. As in, it used to be this, this, and this with this, this, and this. And now it's kind of like, how do I focus in on three or four ingredients and just really get out of the way? As because we've all been to, we've all eaten a meal, and you're like, there are 75 ingredients on this plate. Yeah, and it's not like I don't love that. I do. Right. It's just this, you know. But all, but I think sometimes I think you as you're refining a craft, like mm-hmm. I think chefs are doing, especially like Allison, and honing in on on technique. You know the ingredient really kind of shines if you're just bending it in three or four different ways and if you it just takes a lot of time yeah, yeah you know to, to, to learn everything about a pumpkin yeah, yeah. it's you know, forced to do it it's uh-huh. just like okay let's get this out uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. what about your sullivan education you uh uh it, it sounds like you have a lot of sort of as you do chef you learn from doing and seeing and all of that that's the practical side and then you also have a lot to learn as far as, you know, the actual science of stuff and, and that kind of thing. So it sounds like, you know, it, it's, it's both <laughs> formal education and then just on the street kind of. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure Allison would agree that, you know, the, as she said, she started in mid-20s and, and listeners out there, you could definitely start whatever you want. But, you know, you wanted that leg up, that, that kind of formal education that shows that you're serious about it because it sounds like you're just like the, a lot of the chefs I know. Once it got a hold of you, you had to eat, sleep, breathe it, everything about it. And, and But uh, tell us about your experience at Sullivan. I, I loved it. Um, you know, I, I went to college right out of high school and I just wasn't ready. I didn't really know what I wanted. And, um, but something special about Sullivan was like, I made that choice. You know, I was ready. Mm-hmm. And so I sucked every bit of information and experience that I could out of it. Um, in Lexington in particular, that's where I did all of my labs, all of our practical work. And um, Chef John Foster oh, he's um, was one of my, uh, he's, I, I still think of him as one of the most important people in my, in my come up and mm-hmm. really. Um, and w- one of the things that was really special about him that, um, that really influenced me was his desire to work with the community, to work with, um, to work at the farmer's markets. You know, every single opportunity that he presented to us was like, let's go to this, you know, community center and talk to kids about healthy lunches. Let's go to the farmer's market. I'll give you $10. You go buy some ingredients and you put together a dish and we'll just hand out the samples for free. He had so many things up his sleeve um, that gave me really unique opportunities to see a different side of food and different philosophies of how that could translate into different contexts. And so that was really, really special. And I think gave me a great um, jumping off point to the philosophy that I have now, which is really that it's not just about cooking. It's not just about service. It's about building relationships with local agriculture, with working with your local farmers and supporting them. And I think that that has become more and more um, prevalent these days and more important um, as, as the pandemic has really changed the the supply chain as we see that factory farms just aren't working you know a lot of people were like i can't get pork at the grocery store and i was like i can name you five local farmers right now who can give you pork and not just pork but they can give you really um special cuts that you can't get in the grocery store because you know factory farms anything that doesn't immediately sell on a grocery shelf they put it into dog food Mm -hmm. or, or or 
whatever. So, you know, I really enjoy making those relationships, knowing how they raise their food. Um, and I really do believe that um, those relationships that I've built with those people stem from my time at Sullivan and my desire to to leach all of the information and experience that I could from them. Um, you know, you get what you put into it. I think a lot of people go to culinary school and they may not have any knowledge and they were kind of just like, whatever, you know, I'm here, I'll do the assignments. But if you really want to get there, Sullivan has a million different opportunities for you to really grow. And I took every single one of them and it made all the difference in the world. Yeah, I think so. You know, the, the education's the mm -hmm. same for everybody and everybody's got the yeah. same 24 yeah. hours in every day. That's right. If you want to get in there and learn at Sullivan, it's a perfect place yeah, to do kind it. Of so. the, the whole big picture kind of thing, the holistic. And I love your view on just kind of how... Um, you know, maybe the pandemic's kind of changed how we how we do business in this industry, or how we should be doing business in the industry, or maybe how we'll be forced to do yeah. business yeah. in the industry. Yeah. It changed uh, you that. know, and these relationships you're talking about with growers, yeah. purveyors, farmers, you know, it, it seems like it's that's that's going to have to grow on, on the hospitality and staff side. Well, mm -hmm. in human also, resources, it's almost consumer. like we need to yeah, to, to build our teams and make yeah. them fortified castles. And, and you know, let the world go on around us and yeah. let us react to what comes into our world and what we can cook with. Yeah, and I think people crazy. in general, as consumers, we need to get more connected to our food. We've, we've been so separated from how our food gets to our plate for so long. It's sanitized. You go into the grocery mm -hmm. store, it's wrapped in cellophane and, and foam, and you take it home, and that's your pork. You don't see the life, the animal, the, you know, the, mm -hmm. any, any from. act, the, the farmer, right. the create, you know, you don't, none of that's in our food. And that's why kids mm -hmm. all think chicken should be shaped like dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Or they like uh, the study they did in Florida where they fed tomatoes, uh, tasteless tomatoes to college students. They like those better than the ones growing yeah. on the vine. Because uh, <laughs> that's what they me. grew up with. You, you give know? a kid a piece of chicken <laughs> in a, with a bone and they look at you like you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they're, oh, I know. And there's nothing like that. I mean, yeah. I like chicken on the bone. What about your, what's your future plans? You, uh, you Here you are on the on the doorstep of James Beard kind of stuff? What does that mean? First of all, do you have to participate in something to be a nominee? What, what happens, Chef? And uh, to, what, what, what comes next? That is a great question. Uh, <laughs> part of um, the mystery, I guess. Yeah, no, a Barn 8 and Hermitage Farm gave me an, an incredible platform and I learned, it was the first restaurant that I opened and it was yeah. a huge project and it was a really incredible experience and i i will love that place until my last breath i really will um but i'm a single mom i have a five-year-old oh, okay and um you know that is that is something that's really important to me you know i started the process of trying to make um restaurant life more sustainable there but now i'm really trying to figure out what my next move is um, and a lot of that is going to come down to the connections that I've already built. So I'm, I already have some dinners in the works with um, two of my favorite farmers. Uh, one of them is 3D Valley Farm. Mm -hmm. They're actually in uh, DePaul, Indiana, about mm -hmm. 30 minutes from me. And uh, I've known them for about 10 years. And they actually, they bought me a baby gift when I was pregnant and you know, I've used them at every every restaurant, and I'm probably going to do a dinner with them in the fall, just focusing on their their ingredients, mm -hmm. which are like maple syrup, mm -hmm. uh, maple sugar. 
They do honey, pork, chicken eggs, uh, and and uh, their mainstay is Black Angus cattle. Um, and so I'm going to be working with my with those relationships. I want to build that out. Um, uh, I've also been talking to another farmer about potentially putting together a position that doesn't exist yet within the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, mm-hmm. where I would be, um, and this is all very new, not official, mm-hmm. and we're just exploring it. And <laughs> this is not something that is necessarily going to happen. But um, the idea that I would sort of uh, be a liaison between farmers and schools, um, oh, public yeah. institutions, mm. and restaurants so that farmers can figure out, like, what can I grow that is actually going to sell, that, that restaurants will yeah. buy from me? Yeah. What can I grow that schools will buy from me so that we can give our children healthy ingredients, local ingredients mm-hmm. that is supporting our community? So not only are we supporting the local agriculture and helping people continue to be farmers, we are preserving that farmland by keeping it from being developed, uh, which is something that you really can't go back on. Once it becomes a neighborhood, it's never going to be a farm again. It's just not. So that's something that's really important. It's um, uh, one of our owners um, is she used to compare it to saying like, it's like planting the tree that you'll never see come to maturity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want I want to be a part of the solution yeah. for the future. Yeah. And that means being very intentional about knowing what our carbon footprint is, how far are, is our food traveling? Um, is it really necessary to buy a tomato that's coming from a greenhouse in Argentina? Absolutely not. You know, just eat tomatoes in the summer when you can grow them in the backyard or utilize your local farmers. And that gives you this really important um, jumping off point to understanding seasonality, um, to eating local foods um, at their best and peak when they're there, they have the highest nutritional value. Sorry. And then figure out, oh, sorry. And then figuring out, you know, exactly, um, you know, how we can change all of this around so that people do understand where their food is coming from because it's not healthy for us to be relying on this i don't want to know where it came from i don't want to know how those animals were treated as long as it's cheap uh, yeah right as long as it yeah chef What's, chef allison uh chef allison settle james beard nominee thank you so much for being on with it, it a great note to end on. i'm sorry we don't have longer to talk but it yeah. was an amazing chat and congratulations thank you, thank you. Yeah. Th- congratulations thank on all your you. success thank and you. thank you so much for being on the show with us today thank you Thanks for having me. Back in a moment. It's Food News and Chews Radio.